Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party has taken a dangerous turn to the hard left. It's not just about being black or a funny, you know, different from the BME community, but the, the Jewish community equally. Hijacked by the machine politics of the hard left. I've seen the clip on uh, from Politics Live. I'm very sorry about any events caused, and, and I'm very upset that I misspoke so badly. It's him. not what I am. I am committed to fighting racism wherever I find it in our society. To plant the seed that grows from an acorn into a big tree. A once great Labour Party, gripped by Marxist cranks on the ideological fringes, Labour's hard left offer. They do not want to be patronised by left-wing intellectuals. A funny tinge. And I, and I obviously, look, I, I never meant to say that. It, 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 I, I misspoke really badly. I was very, very tired at that point. I'd had six hours of press um, engagement and I was very tired. And I, you know, it's, I was, I was very tired. I misspoke really, really badly. And that's not who I am. I'm very confident about that. It's not who I am. And I think anybody who knows me would, would, would verify that. I'm really good doing that ever <laughs> That's it. It's there. That's the answer to this. It's in Even your hands. The strident anti-capitalist ideology is a virulent anti-West, anti-American, anti-Israel mindset. Those on the hard left think that all international wrongdoing is caused by the evils of the West and any intervention must therefore be some sort of imperialist conspiracy. We don't think every problem in the world is created by the West. In fact, we're proud of our values home and abroad. Jeremy Corbyn's 1970s reheated Marxism had hijacked the party. Can you, can you just look at your hands, please? Just look at your hands, please. So I'm really worried uh, that people will take a Corbyn approach to mass nationalisation, printing money, destabilising the economy and our public service. And you have the milk Drop me an email, chris at theindependent.group. Oh, Mike, it's all gone so wrong, hasn't it? Absolutely. Are you sorry you left your party now? You've lost your party. You're going to lose your seats at the next election. You knew you would, which is why you didn't go for a by-election, which is why none of you uh, Tiggers went for a by-election. Now half of the party that you set up have left you. It's all over. I'm my gapes. I mean, what a flipping mess. Absolutely. Thanks, Mike. Milk candles burned out long before your legend ever bleeds.
to get it out fairly soon. You could do like a little Christmas treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck, it's so close to Christmas. She's... I don't want to tell you how many days, but it's literally six days. I know, yeah, shit, I just I just checked. Oh, God, I think that that means that we're going to have to record a Christmas special as well. God, okay, well, uh, not not right now, I don't mean, but... <laughs> no, definitely not now. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, but we're going to have to put in, like, a 12-hour shift. Not that I didn't do that during the election at times. <laughs> yeah, you were fucking doing daft hours, man. Um, yeah, I don't know how we do it. No. I think it's going to take about a year and six days to get the Christmas spirit sufficient, really. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see how it goes with that. By the way, my current Twitter name is Labour Town Source. I'm no longer a Downing Street Source. <laughs> so you're going, you're, you're going all in for Nandy then. I'm, I'm vox popping. Goes. I'm vox popping around the traditional working class, <laughs> getting my na- getting my Nandy quotes in. <laughs> right. So, hello everyone. Welcome to Real Politic. This is our first proper episode after the election. It's actually the second we recorded, but you're going to have to wait for Yair and I's December movie chat for a little bit. Yair's working on that right now. This is, I guess, as close as we'll come to a proper election autopsy. You know, we don't we don't want to dwell too much on our, our miserable failures, but we're definitely going to have to do that a bit. We're joined today by long-time friend of the show, regular Real Politic guest, Jude Wanger at you're Hello. still you're still Jude in London too on Twitter aren't you Jude? Yes I have I haven't contrary to popular belief I was not suspended during <laughs> the, <laughs> the great suspension stealing valor Yeah r- rumors of your Twitter demise were greatly exaggerated were greatly exaggerated Yeah <laughs> I think we made a big mistake you know a lot of people have said that the Labour Party's policy platform it didn't get you know it wasn't expressed clearly enough people didn't we didn't get the policies in our great manifesto across even though it was a great manifesto and i think that was largely down to the fact that we forgot to repeat what we did in 2017 which was to have you on to do an episode or two in fact two episodes (laughs) where we go through the manifesto and lay out what's good what's bad mainly what's good obviously Um, are we saying that it was me on real politics that swung it for labor in 2017 because well i don't think my ego can handle that (laughs) you you or big boy bastani you know we'll have to (laughs) (laughs) But, but but the other thing is i think there's a little bit of poetic justice going on here a little bit of serendipity which is that I think it's very apt that the last time you appeared on Real Politic was to talk about the Change UK split. And we are talking today <laughs> on the day that Change Dearly UK. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here to say goodbye. <laughs> To change UK. They've announced that they're quote-unquote winding up the party. They're starting the process of winding up the party. I think they started the process of winding it up about a week Ashes into to ashes. <laughs> a- ashes to ashes, gapes to milk. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's... So if we, if we want to dwell on some of the highlights of election night before we get to the miserable shit, every single Change UK MP lost their seat. All the, all, all the ones who are running again, which wasn't all of them. Yeah, every single The Independence one as even, well. Like... Even the Soobs. Yeah, Unbelievable. Soobs, yep. Soobs went down. Who could have seen that coming? Chris Leslie lost to uh, yeah, someone from the hard left. <laughs> 
Uh, Gapes got obviously, you know, fucked over by Corbin's candidate, whatever his name is. <laughs> no, shout out, shout out to Sam Tarry because he obviously used real politic material in his campaign. So. I mean, Sam Sam is now obliged to change his name to Corbyn's candidate legally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or just because he's, cons- yeah. as, as Gabe said, he's a Corbyn clone. Just change his yeah. name to Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> <It's a> Corbyn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure someone said this on Twitter, but if if his maiden speech isn't just him doing the milk speech verbatim in a sarcastic voice, like, <laughs> then he's already melted, really. That would be, or at least paraphrasing it at the very least. He's got to reference it, hasn't he? He's got to or, reference it at some in some way. Maybe the big blue cake with a big blue cherry on top one or something like that. The deep cuts for the real house. Oh, my you know? goodness. <laughs> Poor, I can just imagine, like, just Mike Gates sitting at home watching watching um, Sam Terry give his maiden speech, referencing him, and just, like, his head getting more and more bright red. <laughs> just just <laughs> and growing. And explodes in anger. <laughs> what a weird man. Yeah, I, I I know. I was saying actually that Gape should start his own rival podcast now. He's now <laughs> changed his bio to uh, Gape's Il- Politics. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Ilford South MP nineteen ninety two to twenty nineteen Hammer Blues and Jazz fan. So I think in oh in the vein of real politics, he should start a podcast that's ostensibly about blues and jazz. But it's just him, just fucking, and him and his gape goons just laying into the haters, ranting about milk, just all this, all the good shit, really. His Twitter bio is still his like campaign literature. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, what? Yeah, his his cover photo. His he- yeah. Oh <laughs> man. What's what's he gonna do now? It's just. He's going to run a West Ham podcast. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's what he's going to do. If he does that, we've got to try and get someone on that. Like we've got to, we've got to fool him again. We, yeah, um, we've got to fool him again. Who do we know? Oh, by the hammer? way, I know quite a few actually. Funnily enough, but congratulations on your um, undercover reporting <laughs> episode. That deserves a BAFTA, in my in my humble opinion. Yeah, I know it just shows how you know, like a good independent programming like Real Politics is shut out by the establishment, but that hasn't received even a bit of like brass eye pedo getting style controversy would have would have been deserved. But instead, it was just you know, left Twitter loved they... it. Still, a lot of people listen to it, so presumably that all the all yeah. the gape heads tuned in. There's just no respect for investigative journalism anymore. <laughs> I think it's a disgrace, really. I think that there's now no argument to be made that Mr. Jimothy Baker is not superior in every way to like Laura Koonsberg and Robert Preston. <laughs> like, why, why they're not fighting over putting him in those jobs? It's insane to me. <laughs> I mean, it's an all-time low for the BBC this election. Oh, it was gaff after gaff. Well, I say gaff. The the, the pattern between them just meant everyone had stopped believing them within about three, four days, you know? Let's be honest, it, yeah, it, it, the election was fucking rigged, man. Like, I know a lot of people are going <laughs> to... They're, they're going to be saying, oh, like, the left were proven wrong, blah, blah, blah. Actually, I stand vindicated because the whole time I was like, this election's rigged! This is bullshit! This is r- ridiculous! How are we going to succeed I, with this, this, this rigged election? Because it's I rigged. don't think the election. I don't think the election was rigged necessarily. I, I do. Just think, I do. <laughs> I just. I just think it was. It was an impossible election to win. 
And I, you know, I've been exactly. thinking about it, it a lot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about it a lot for the last six days because I remember when Tonti Blair did his big speech or over the summer where he said that we should pivot from a general election to a second referendum. Uh, and I remember sitting there and thinking, oh, fuck, the war criminals got a point there. Because I felt like the moment for us to have a general election first policy went after the European elections. And namely because suddenly the me- the media just decided to treat the European elections as if it was something that people actually gave a shit about. Wouldn't we have lost to change UK? <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like, at that time... Right after that election, the polls were fucked and the polls never really recovered Mm. from that. And that polling, the allowance of the European polling to then become the barometer for the general election changed everything. And once that was in motion, there was no stopping it. And so a general election made no sense. Now, if the left wanted to actually ram it down the throat of the centrists, they would say, actually, if you had listened to us, Last year, in November, when we were calling for a general election because we were saying the arithmetic of Parliament is set up so that we can't get an answer out of this. Way before Change UK, way before everything else, had the Lib Dems gone for it and we'd pushed for an election before Theresa May even stepped down, then the optics were there for Labour to maybe win or at least in a hung Parliament have the arithmetic change enough to create a minority government or a supply and confidence with the SNP. Yeah, I actually but, totally agree with that. I, I think we would, yeah. we would have won against Theresa May, and it's you know it's definitely on the so-called Tory rebels, the Lib Dems, but, for Change UK yeah. lot, that they basically yep. repeatedly provided Theresa May's sinking government with a life raft. Yeah, so what 2019 ended up doing was bringing Brexit almost back to the forefront of everybody's mind because nothing else has been discussed since february literally nothing else we had the indicative votes then we had the european elections then we had the tory leadership Mm. then we had the proroguing then we had conferences and then we had prorogation 2.0 and then we had the general election so it has been constant since march oh actually since february but it was march that was the original leaving date so since then it's been nothing but brexit so as soon as the winds changed, Tonti Blair was right. We sh- if we'd gone for second referendum first, if we'd pushed for those votes in Parliament, we probably could have got an amendment for a second referendum through. I don't know about that. I think we would have because I think at that point, at the point where it was general election or second referendum, it would have pushed the Tory rebels, the so-called rebels, to really put their money where their mouth is. And actually... In some of their defences, people like Glenn Clark really did go for it in some ways and then in other ways just, like, completely fold. Wasn't he, like, pretty wankers. much the only one, though, in the end? Yeah, literally. The others just were like, well, fuck it. Yeah. That, Nicholas Holmes. That's what I think. It. You got kicked out for nothing, mate. You're an idiot. Yeah, I, I think there's maybe something to what you're saying, but I guess just anything that, like, depends on the Tory rebels yeah. standing up so to that's the what, Tories. But is, for I, me, that's why the Parliament... was always going to be a non-starter really yeah and so the general election should have happened last year as soon as it didn't as soon as we got to the european elections and we saw just how big the brexit party were able to do that should have been the first warning sign that this country is still obsessed with brexit Mm. 
Yeah. And when going into a general election as the Labour Party, if Brexit isn't resolved, we're not winning. There was never an opportunity for Labour to win an election with Brexit as the question. And for that, the Lib Dems, the weird Remain terrorists, <laughs> need to take responsibility for that. Yeah. Because if you look at a lot of the polling data around Brexit, a lot of the votes that Labour lost are people who either voted Leave, who went to vote for other Remain parties, or there are people who voted Remain, who went and voted for Leave parties. Now, the reason they did that is because for some people, they didn't really want to leave the EU. They voted Remain, but for them it was an issue of democracy. Yeah, definitely. And that small part of the country was probably what swung the election I felt for the Tories. like it was such a kind of compelling line, Labour accepts the result of a referendum. It obviously caused problems with Remainers, it, but it shut down a whole other line of argument when people would kind of say, so, Labour's standing in the way of democracy. You could just kind of say, well, yeah. no. So if you look at the manifestos between 2017 and 2019, the starkest difference is that in 2019, in a lot of ways, we were offering a harder Brexit with no second referendum and managed to get 40% of the vote. Mm. And then in 2019, we were offering possibly the softest of softest Brexits with a second referendum and we got created for it. Now, what these Remain terrorists never, ever did, and I think going back to any time I've ever discussed Brexit on this show, I've said all along, these people are not smart. These are not smart people. Because the only tactic that Labour had to do since this referendum was called in 2016, since that vote came through, was just let it fail in the Tories' hands. Do not seem to be blocking it. Do not seem to be trying to revoke it. Do not seem to be trying to push it forward. Just stand back, create your red lines, which are impossible to meet, and then let them do what they need to do. And that would have kept everybody going, the incompetence is on you. Nobody's blocking you from doing anything. Once people started to try and intervene, trying to hurry Corbyn to a position that they wanted him to be at, the only way they could get him to become a born-again Remainer or whatever was to destroy the concept of a soft Brexit. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And destroying the concept of a soft Brexit meant that people who would have been happy with a soft Brexit could only go two ways. They could either become Remainers or they could vote for a hard Brexit. Yeah, it's pure the, fundamentalism, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and so you, this you is probably the had extremism about... that, the, sorry, the yeah. extremism that Gapes warned us about. <laughs> Stop the extremism. Yeah, so you had about 30% of people who were hard Brexiteers, 30% of people who were ultra Remain terrorists, and then you've got like that 40% in the middle who are floaters. They're the people who decided this election. Yeah. Because they're the people who either voted Remain, but didn't care that the Leave vote came through and they just wanted to respect the vote. Or they're people who voted Leave and would have been happy with a softer Leave, but they wanted a Leave. So if the soft Leave's not available, they'll go for the hard one. Yeah. And that is literally what swung it. It feels like the last two years have just been, you know, the election has been just put off over and over again until every last bit of the energy and enthusiasm that, not every last bit, because we did manage to summon up, you know, a lot of great, like, grassroots campaigning, but almost all the energy from 2017 had been sapped, and then it was like, 
Right, let's have a selection now then, <laughs> you know? And I think because... obviously the Remain thing just played a huge part in that because in 2017, Labour had gone to the election with a position that was very kind of carefully like, look, we just can't, it doesn't benefit any of us if we take a fundamentalist position on this. Yeah. And that had been shown to be quite a successful strategy. And then immediately after that, it was all just like, the Blairites all came out and were like, right, Let's have a second but, referendum then. And then two years later, it was received wisdom that that had to be done. But this is the thing. So if you go back to Labour's Brexit position in that 2017 manifesto, if you think about it, had Labour been able to form a government that year, that Brexit position would have gone through as the withdrawal agreement, right? Mm. And Parliament could have tacked on as many amendments as they wanted. And so they very easily could have, the SNP or the Lib Dems, however many of them had survived at that point. I think they had 12 in 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before they could all have, the defections, they, which they've now yeah, lost. <laughs> mine, yeah, yeah. They could have tacked on an amendment for a second referendum to go to vote, right? And given the majority of the PLP were Remainers anyway, that amendment would have passed under a Labour government which would have meant that the Brexit policy would have gone to second referendum against Remain, the Labour Brexit position. And given the PLP all hate Jeremy Corbyn, there was no chance of what Boris Johnson's doing right now, which is going, actually, I'm not going to let you guys say this, and I'm not going to let you guys do this, and I'm not mm. going to let you guys do anything, because there's nobody to fucking stop me. I have a proper majority, and everybody who I signed up to be a parliamentary candidate for the Tory party is fully behind me on Brexit, so what I say goes. Do we think the lack of discipline was really a thorn in Labour's side? There were multiple thorns in Labour's side. One was yeah. the complete ill-discipline of the Remain campaign. Mm. The utter clown shoes of the operation <laughs> actually mortally wounded the party. We were too ambiguous at times with what we wanted to achieve with Brexit. And sometimes you can be a bit too clever by half. Yeah. And I don't think at times we actually very much hammered home the whole unifying the country kind of thing. It was never abundantly clear. I think too clever by half kind of applies to the months of parliamentary wrangling that kind of... Yeah. It, it just, it made Labour yeah. look like the establishment trying to do a, you know, an establishment fix. To be fair, no, I don't think it was necessarily Labour that had that feel to it. I think that was more applicable to people like the Lib Dems. If you think about it, the amendments that went through, other than the Cooper Amendment, most of the amendments were from other opposition backbenchers, supported yeah. by the Labour Party, but none of the Jeremy Corbyn amendments ever really got any proper support. Because they so had all of Jeremy the defeats, Corbyn written on them. <laughs> yeah, so all yeah. Of, they were led by Jeremy Corbyn. So all of the defeats came from like backbench amendments, supported mm. by the Labour Party. So if you look at all of the majority of Theresa May's defeats are two amendments that were made by backbenchers, which is yeah. fucking hilarious. But my point is more that it wasn't necessarily that Labour were doing a stitch up. It was more that there was no explanation of why Parliament were doing what they were doing. Yeah. And it I don't think there was actually much complaint about what Parliament was doing. The complaints came in the summer. The complaints came after prorogation. Because when it went to the indicative votes in October, that's when people were like... You guys don't even want to make a fucking decision. None of you want to make a decision. You're pissing about now. You're taking the piss. I think that was the issue. I don't really think out in the public they looked at it. I think the media wanted that narrative. And so they portrayed that narrative and found in confirmation bias, which is apparently the only thing that political journalists operate on now. They found the people to make the Vox Pops 
that would fit that narrative of a country that's frustrated by parliament. Yeah. But I don't actually think there was actually that much frustration in the public. I don't recall in any of the Brexit conversations I had this year, anybody going, oh, I'm sick of parliament. I don't ever recall that. I didn't even get that on the doorstep canvassing this year. I don't think that was ever, re- that was a non-starter issue. I think the fundamental problem was the maths in the parliament just wasn't there for a resolution. A general election was going to have to happen the problem is that the Remainers spent so long pissing and moaning about Jeremy Corbyn that they missed the window to actually grasp the power to actually get a second referendum. Yeah. And then after that, it was just, it was yeah. on a hiding to nothing. And that was it. So we're now looking at, for the first time in four years, uh, you know, a, a politics without Corbyn at its centre. Yeah. I, a lot of people listening to the show will be very daunted by this understandably and i feel very much the same because whilst the labor party under corbyn has often veered off course he has functioned as a kind of bulwark keeping it away from many of its worst excesses you know there will be no rush to war under labor while corbyn's leader well if there is the fucking government will do it but (laughs) labor won't support it it's what i mean yeah Um, stuff like that and so we're seeing a lot of talk about the legacy of corbynism and a lot of you know a lot of very i think unsavory putting the boot in of the man himself we never shy away from putting the boot into people we dislike i suppose but there is a there's a real kind of sadism to some of the stuff about corbyn it's like oh he's not fucking smiling and chatting away with boris johnson oh what a cunt it's the same energy we've seen over the last few days that we saw in 2016 when they were you know the reports were saying they were trying to break him as a man and this sort of thing they're trying to force him into stepping down quicker essentially yeah and i'm not even sure the point of it what is the the sadism for him to go flexing the power trying to convince themselves it it does it does like the glee with which they are absolutely laying into people is so unedifying it's like you do realize that the same people you're slagging off you're gonna need them in about a year and a half's time to go and do activism on behalf of the Labour Party. You do realise that, right? None of you got elected off the back. Fucking, who's it? Mel Neon complaining about nobody going to go door knocking for us. Like, maybe if you weren't such a fucking cunt, someone would have gone door knocking for you. Well, she immediately slagged off, but was it Nadia Whitbourne or something? Chris Leslie's yeah. replacement in Nottingham yeah. East. For yeah, for giving donate- up some of her salary. Yeah, she donated a huge part of her salary to a homelessness charity and Melanie on was like oh fucking virtue signaling here's the cup left at it again (laughs) like and it was just kind of like well okay that's a like kind of fashy and b just really like pointlessly cruel and nasty i mean the idea that mps can't live on like 30 grand a year is just fucking ridiculous everybody else has to do it Mm. why can't why can't you i don't really understand how big is your workload that you actually deserve to be paid 80 grand more than someone who works 16 hours as a fucking cleaner that one doesn't make sense i'm all for people getting paid more but at the same time don't sit there and try and tell me that an mp actually deserves 80 grand a year they don't yeah i mean let's just call a spade a spade an mp does not do any more or less work than a social worker and social workers are not getting paid 80 grand a year there was that plp meeting the other day 
which sounded like a grotesque spectacle, basically just like identical to that meeting in 2016. It's, where they, it's got a real you know, Lord of the Flies feeling. Yeah, to yeah. It. in, in, in Diane Abbott's words in 2016, they tried to break Corbyn as a man. And this just sounded like literally, here we go again. Neil Kinnock even turned up just like he did last time. They wheeled him out of his fucking crypt. You know to come what it, it sounds like? It's like, you know, when a school's got a, a new kid and that kid kind of excels mm. and people build up resentment towards that kid and then that yeah. kid actually has like a moment of weakness and then mm. everybody who's hated him and had to be silent about it is like yes this is my moment yes. and they just they just go for it and then at the end of it they're like oh shit maybe we went too far and that time is going to come for these people and it's probably going to come if god forbid anything happens to corbyn's health then yeah. you'll see them coming out. And what oh, he I'm was doing such is a nice man. I'm collating all of the vindictive shit that they're saying because on the day of his sad demise, I don't want to see a single one of them saying anything nice about him. I don't yeah. want to hear it. Yeah, let's have Because some... you cannot go to this level of personal I mean... and then think you can just wreck on it with sad condolences. No. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I no, mean, no. obviously, like, fuck Dennis Healy and fuck him for doing this thing in particular, but you've almost got to respect him for going on TV the day Tony Ben died at age, like, 100, just bitterly putting the boot into Ben's legacy. So, yeah, if... Get- at least it's honest. It's fucking honest. <laughs> yeah. And at least you can respect that. Like, yeah, you hated the man, so why wouldn't you be happy that he's dead? Fine, whatever. That's better than hating the man every day of his life and never saying a good thing about him. And then the second he goes, being like, oh, he was such a nice man. And he'll be sadly missed. You don't miss him. I I, I may have had my disagreements with Jeremy, but uh, I I always thought that the the real issue was uh, Mr. Seamus Milne. Yeah, all that bollocks that they'll come up with. It was just politics. It was never personal. Yes, it was. You guys made sure that we knew it was 100% personal and we will never forget it. There's an arrogance to the PLP that can only come from a lifetime of mediocrity and never being told that you're not actually any good at anything. Because (laughs) here we are about to embark on another leadership election and those fucking clowns still haven't figured out how to stop losing. And so they're about to lose another election and they don't even know it yet. Yeah. There's no sign of them even having given it any thought, is there? Like... No. Naturally, once you've lost a general election, you know a leadership election is coming, you know your party is pretty split, surely the talking heads amongst you would get together and just pick one candidate. But no, There's you're going to run a slate of, of about five or six candidates. <laughs> split but... your own vote. Meanwhile, the left only need to decide on one candidate and tell no other left candidate to run and that's their vote locked up that's what 45 percent of the thing locked up oh and And we've decided even if there's 55 percent between the rest of you all of your second and third preferences are gonna cancel each other out this is exactly how yvette cooper who they thought would come at least second ended up finishing third to andy burnham because they had no strategy in 2015 and it looks like they're just rerunning the 2015 election. Aren't there they rumors... have learned nothing. Aren't there rumours that Yvette Cooper's going to run again? Well, they are stupid enough to let her do that. Why would she do and, that and to and herself? Like, number one, you came second to Andy Burnham. Andy Burnham, a man whose only positive contribution to politics is his fucking eyelashes and nothing else. <laughs> what, a, a cat- How can you, you lose to a pair of eyelashes 
and very nice blue eyes, admittedly. Well, she came That's third it. after a campaign run by Mr. Michael Duggar. Like, I mean, <laughs> 17%. But secondly, we're still in an age of austerity. We've got a Tory government who are not going to be any nicer to people. And you are responsible for the work capability assessments for ESA being even tougher. You helped introduce it and then you made it tougher for people to be granted disability benefits, which is what the Tories used to go on a culling spree of the poorest, most disabled people in this country and cause about 100,000 deaths. You're, you're complicit in that as much as the coalition government. Why is she even bothering to stand as leader? It baffles me. <laughs> she might not yet. You know, she might decide. But, you know, if, if she she's does, got any sense. She cle- it, no, if she does, she clearly has no friends. Just like Clive Lewis clearly has no friends because nobody seemed to tell him, probably not a good idea for you to run, mate. Too many <laughs> stories out there about you. No, nope, yeah. let me run. Let me shoot myself in the foot. By just doing the complete Alan Partridge in my first fucking magazine interview. Oh my god! Can we get on to Clive and the other people possibly running in a second? I, I like. I think yeah. just just a little a little bit more on on so like the attempts to quote unquote break Jeremy Corbyn as a man. I don't want to spend the whole thing just going on about how much I love Corbyn, but I do, and I, you know, I but basically I do think it's so gross, like stuff like so. Didn't somebody was it possibly it was either Melanie on herself or Mary Cray? Remember her? One of the, like, seven failed Blairite leadership candidates from 2015. She apparently did, like, a 20-minute speech just having a go at Corbyn. And it's like, look, there's 200 people in the PLP. Don't some of the rest of them want to have a go at Corbyn as well? Like, that, come on, that's just hogging my limelight. What is this, like, a, a Neil who Young told crazy Mary, horse jam? Who told Mary Cray she had 20 minutes worth of useful things to say? <laughs> well, the same people who said, yeah, Mary, you should run for leader. Definitely- On No, honestly, <laughs> can you think of a single thing that she said in the last three years? No, can you? Not, can, absolutely not. There we go. She's, she uh, might as well have just been a corpse. Didn't she to lose be her honest. seat? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course she did. <laughs> well, because she was a people's vote zealot in a highly Brexity seat, I think. Do you know the thing that kills me about half of these people is that they're complaining about losing their seats and like nobody came to campus for us. I was like, yeah. maybe if you're a bit nicer, people would have. Yeah. <laughs> maybe people didn't want to come and canvas for you because they don't like you. Because now, yeah. now they're all just like, right, let's kick the trots out then. Everyone who, yeah, all those people are cunts. Like, now I can break yeah. my silence. I always hated them. And everyone's like, yeah, we know. That's why we didn't come and campaign for you. One- a lot of these people seem to have two modes, really, don't they? One is kicking off that people don't have enough experience on the hashtag Labour doorstep. Yeah. And then two is after they've come out and actually done a lot of hard work on the hashtag Labour Oh, you doorstep, don't know what you're doing. Turning around the minute afterwards and going, oh, no, you weren't doing it right. Fuck you all, ultimately, (laughs) if you're not on my wing of the party. Yeah. (laughs) Honest, I just think a lot of them have a lot of entitlement towards the membership. Yeah. Where they think that we owe them fealty in some way and that we're obliged to go and canvas for every single one of them, regardless of feeling or whatever, and that they can slag us off, but come election time, we have to fall in line. And it's like, mate, nah. Yeah. That's what... (laughs) Nah. That's what I respect about... I'm not schlepping to fucking red car to canvas for fucking Anna Turley. She mm. can lose her seat. I'm all right with that, actually. <laughs> Poor um, Yair like, had to send I his won't, I won't cry about her. it. <laughs> I won't cry about it. If she goes, 
as they said in Rocky, if she dies, she dies. Well, <laughs> once again, Redka, highly Brexity seats, Anna Turley, a second referendum campaign zealot. Like, so, I mean, yeah. fucking, what were these people expecting? You can understand why Caroline Flint's kind of pissed off, given that she's like hard Brexit now, send them back, and she still lost her seat. But like. Anna Turley was a Remainer in a Brexit seat that couldn't convince her own constituencies to vote for her. Yeah. Whereas. Even Jess Phillips managed to do that. Yeah, The yeah, bar yeah. was so low and Anna Turley still couldn't clear it. I can't believe that's, that Anna Turley... That's a you problem. I can't believe she didn't, like, scrape it over the line with the socially conservative voters with her anti-hijabs in school position that she's expressed on Twitter. Clearly, what she didn't realise was that people wanted Brexit more than they wanted xenophobia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah Brexit <laughs> is xenophobia. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, enough of the hijab bashing. We've got that covered in Brexit here, love. They're just like, I don't like the fact that we could, like, leave We want the borders thing. and the racism. Yeah. Not just the racism. Yeah, so as ever, like, these MPs have all been mouthing off and blaming Corbyn for everything. Shout out which, to Lloyd Which I Russell. find hilarious because you remember how they insisted that theirs were a personal mandate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had nothing to do with the party. <laughs> Or anything else. So why do you need party activists to come and knock for you if it's got nothing to do with the party? God. Do it yourself. All these individual Labour MPs around the country mania has really subsided over the last couple of years. I can't think <laughs> why. <laughs> but um, Lloyd Russell Moyle has been fighting the good fight for all of us, branding his colleagues cunts for calling for Corbyn to go right now. And he also claimed Labour lost the election because it lacked fighting spirit. At least that's how Tom Newton Dunn of the sun and Aryan unity forums has has, has spun the story so yeah shout out to Lloyd and to Richard Bergen and to former MP Laura Smith who sadly lost her seat and a few others for sticking up for the grassroots in this time and I just wanted to say on the just thing of this the way they're laying into Corbyn in the most horrible way they've got this line that he's vain and conceited and he's all in it for himself and they can't seriously believe this for a second because they can just ask any fucking supporter and they'll be like no no he's doing this for me and then they can find someone else who say no no he's doing this for me there are literally so many people who Corbyn feels obliged to and just to claim that it's about his ego is just the most like disgusting lie and mischaracterization it's it's just projection because Mm. anybody who has ever actually met Jeremy Corbyn will know that there is no ego there whatsoever this is a man who ran reluctantly because they needed a left person and all the other kind of stalwart left-wingers had already run. John McDonnell ran in 2007 against Gordon Brown. Diane Abbott (laughs) ran in 2010 and it was his turn. It was his turn to go. Yeah. And so it just happened to be Jeremy Corbyn, which is something that the PLP have never understood. He was an accidental leader. His leadership was a direct consequence of their irresponsibility mm. and the fact that he managed to outfox them for four years these are supposed to be the greatest minds of the Labour Party if you're getting outfoxed <laughs> by a septuagenarian fucking vegan jam maker you've fucked up somewhere <laughs> on yeah. a very base level you have fucked up somewhere but yeah the ego thing is just projection on them because they want him to be egotistical but he only does what he does because he's powered by the membership And that is what they don't understand. If you can get your membership to fall in line behind you, yeah, you can act like an egomaniac on steroids because you've got a green light to do what you want because your membership are backing you to the tilt. 
And if anything, he didn't use as much of the power that he yeah. actually had to get rid of them. And that's the one thing that Boris Johnson looked at what was happening in Labour and thought, I can't have these cunts yeah. stifling me. I've got to get rid. And if Labour had done that, then we might have been able to fight a better campaign. But there's no point going out for a general election campaign when you've got a hundred fucking MPs who aren't interested in your manifesto, don't support your manifesto, don't support your leader, yeah, and are doing their own things. Rue Smith complaining about losing her seat. Did you see her campaign material? Didn't have the name Labour anywhere near it. Nothing. Literally, you'd think she was an independent candidate. Oh, it's a shame we couldn't strictly protect and, her seat. And then, and and then, and then she has the gall, the audacity. To say, oh, nobody came to help me campaign. Well, probably because they didn't know you were running for Labour, you twat. <laughs> Her campaign literature was like the opposite of Gates and Leslie, who were just like, Labour, yeah, real Labour. <laughs> I mean, colours. like, Mike Gates literally was just like, Labour, 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 but I'm not Labour. Yeah. <laughs> I like how... Right? Actually... Even using the old Labour colours, whereas Ruth Space was like, I'll use the new Labour colours, I just won't put the name Labour anywhere on my campaign material to be fair because i remember i saw it on twitter and i quote tweeted and said what party are you standing for Rue?" because it doesn't (laughs) say anywhere on your material so maybe the canvassers did come up to your seat but then looked around and was like well hang on Rue smith's here but i think she might be running as an independent so maybe there's no labor candidate for this seat oh well might as well go back down south god there's so many things like i guess we could talk about in the election how Mm -hmm. how the plp miserably failed i think we should keep looking forward right now personally i could go on for about an hour just spitting bile about the so-called tactical voting scam i think the only thing that i would say about the election is i know there's a lot of talk about the manifesto having too much in it and blah 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 there's a tiny bit of truth to that i think we announced too much of the manifesto and we probably could have simplified it by having only a couple of the big manifesto launch speeches for some of the policies and let the rest be things that well they could have but they didn't but (laughs) chris leslie at parliament.co.uk but my point is is that if if anything we needed to go the opposite way because it was such a radical manifesto which had so much more in it we only needed to really kind of publicly announce like two three four things that doesn't mean taking anything out of the manifesto it just means not announcing everything that's in the manifesto like if we went with the nhs the university and the broadband thing and then actually had those as like the flagship policies of the manifesto we had the fully costed thing so it it actually would have made the journalists actually do a little bit of work first and foremost because we're only announcing a couple of things which leaves people time to actually bother to read the manifesto if they want to and if they don't that's fine because we'll go we're going around the country and when we talk about the rest of the stuff in the manifesto it'll get picked up on Paul and it'll be reported in the news because of like reporting regulations and blah 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 blah, even though that literally went out of the window this fucking election. Yeah. But like the less we oh, say totally. about that, the better, I think. So I think that's the kind of the mistake that we made. There was a lot in there. And yeah. what we forget is that this country has just been through like nine years of austerity. They're not used to it. And I think I made an analogy of when you're on a diet, like your stomach shrinks. And then when you come off your diet and you like you go back to eating the way you were before, you get full really quickly and then you vomit. And that's what it was like, <laughs> looking at our manifesto on a country that's been starved for nine years. They just looked at it and go, I'm going to be sick. This is too much for me to eat. Again, Whereas we should have said, 
paste them through the plate. You know, I I, I feel like bit by bit by bit. We clearly, like in terms of public perception, just haven't come across well the last couple of years, basically. And I think that that's another thing that we could almost spend an hour just digging yeah. into because it's just clearly true about like almost everything that we didn't get like the optics right on it. I mean, for for me, the thing I could complain about, you know, would be foreign policy. How I still think that Corbyn and yes, probably Milne's defense of international law and a basic curiosity about for security services and not jumping to hostility with Russia. I would still defend that. I know a lot of people are citing that as a key mistake. But again, that is something that I could keep ranting about for so long. And I, People I, are going to cite a million things because people are going to use their bugbears as justification for why we lost. And yeah. this got, really has very little to do with any of this. Yeah, we did make some mistakes. They weren't fatal mistakes. They ended up being fatal because of the stakes of this election. And that's it. In fact, what I would say is when I look at the 2019 manifesto, it's a government manifesto. It's the manifesto you produce after you've been elected, when you're going for your second term. So if we'd won in 2017, this manifesto would have made perfect sense. But we didn't win in 2017. And there was a little bit of complacency there that we just assumed that that 40% was locked in and that the stuff that we added here was going to push us over when we should have looked at the actual makeup of that 40% to see how much we could lose and how we could gain it back to get back to 40%. That's about the only thing that I would say. If anything, somehow maybe this manifesto, people would have disbelieved it, but they would have voted for it in 2017 just because it was better than giving Theresa May like a free run on Brexit. Fun, and then if we'd had a 2017 though. manifesto this year, actually people would have seen it as quite serious, incredible. But we've had two years of intransigence of like a media narrative that is unchanged. When people have been told the same thing 30 times a day, every single day, it sticks. And yeah. you cannot undo that in six yeah. weeks of campaigning. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really, when, when we were talking about, oh, we'll get it back in the campaign, I was just like, a snap general election just isn't quite long enough after the kind of the beating that the left has taken since we got our surprise oh. result and people were like, oh, fuck, they're really a threat, aren't we? We've got to hit them even harder than we were before. But, I mean, yeah, I feel like clearly our programme didn't come across as well as it should but i think what's important is that we're now seeing people start to throw out the really important policies in there because fun fact from from senior labor source it was actually a senior uh, a slim of uh, you don't really need a, a senior labor source for, for this you just need copies of both of the manifestos but it was actually a slimmer volume for the 2017 manifesto and i think you know most of the stuff pretty much yeah you know, obviously i disagree with some stuff in there i think we were foolish to think that we could have jeremy corbyn as our leader and still basically accept the foreign policy consensus on stuff like nato and trident as it appeared in the manifesto although clearly we were bound by the the plp and unions and so on most of the stuff in that manifesto was a serious agenda for addressing the issues that there are with society the, with the inequality stuff like the homelessness crisis stuff like the crisis in the nhs and we've got to be super careful that we don't let the idea that this radically over ambitious program was just 
far too much, you know, we've got to get... Ret- I know this isn't what you're saying, Jude, but certainly the people Yeah, who- no, I don't think in terms of ambition we went wrong no, anywhere. I think I, I it was absolutely think- perfectly ambitious. I think it was just... I think for some people it was overwhelming. This is a country that's coming off the back of nine years and it has been conditioned to believe that it shouldn't expect the best for itself. And they're not going to necessarily believe a party that's saying to them, you can have all of these things, especially when we know that the media is portraying us so negatively. It's almost a double bind. We were always in a bit of a catch-22. And so I think whilst the ambition wasn't the issue, I think it was that it felt overwhelming to people. Yeah, I think the people... That's all it is. The people who are coming out with this line that we've got to worry about are the people who are never really reconciled to the left agenda in the first place. And they are talking about ditching some really quite indispensable policies. For example... Yeah, you, no, fuck those people. You've seen a big... We don't need to listen to them. You've seen a big backlash to the broadband policy and like with pretty much everything Labour's done for two years you can say yeah maybe we didn't get the message across properly but that policy in itself is sound as hell and would have a transformative effect on people's lives you know broadband is something that everyone depends on and when we're talking about you know towns and sort of to, to as a precursor to our Labour leadership discussion when people are talking about you know how towns have been let down and there's not proper broadband and stuff not proper public transport well you know Labour had stuff (laughs) Labour was offering stuff in those areas and we can't scale back our programme to the point that people's needs aren't being met so there's there's a whole other thing we've got to worry about with compromises which is that we concede to right-wing framings on things that disadvantage the left. For example, if we go back into, you know, a kind of almost austerian narrative, which even the Tories are barely getting into, but certain Labour figures like Rachel Reeves seem to be when they come out and say that we came across as not economically credible. That's obviously very worrying. The way that there's been a retrenchment on foreign policy is extremely worrying because obviously there's been a wide acceptance that British people didn't think Corbyn was on their side because he thinks that people in the global south are I don't think we need to spend that much time on this shit because a lot of this is just people talking shit this is a lot of people whose like asses are like dropping out because we've lost the election obviously and they're grasping for hot takes and that's all this is this is all bollocks right because nobody was saying any nobody was saying any of this fucking shit during the election campaign or before the election campaign. So there's no need for them to be saying it now. As I said, like last week, people can just take a day or a week or even a month before their analysis. The data isn't even really out yet. We can argue coherently about where we think we went wrong, but it's all a hypothesis right now. There's nothing to really back it up yet. Oh yeah, The empirical data will come in time. Do you see what I mean? So for me, we don't even need to get bogged down in this stuff about, oh, our international policy was this, or we need to lose this. <laughs> well, this frankly, our people... international policy wasn't it like wasn't, Corbyn's personal It wasn't policy. even that much. No, That's at all. That's what he, worries he, me, is the compromised idea a lot. that we weren't even particularly on the left in that regard, and we're being told we were too <laughs> much on the left. So that kind but of begs the, the question. It's who was this... saying it, because my point, thing. But my point is that the people who are saying it was too much are the people who were opposed to the entirety of the manifesto anyway. Mm. 
and yeah. they it, and it's convenient for them to use the foreign policy because they can't exactly turn around and go actually we're opposed to you charging landlords <laughs> which is clearly what they were most opposed to so there's just no point listening to these people they're clowns have they got anything right in the last nine years no they haven't <laughs> are they going to get anything right in this leadership election no they're not so why waste your time getting like upset and angry about the stuff they say let them have their little shit fits They've got one moment of schadenfreude. Let them enjoy it because it's going to be tears again in about two months' time. (laughs) Well, this is where I'm optimistic is that I think there are these things we've got to beware about. A, people who want to row back on the manifesto where it addresses people's urgent material needs and B, people who want to row back on the manifesto in a way that could gift a narrative to the Tories that would disadvantage the left for years to come. However... I don't necessarily think that we I don't think at all in fact that within the Labour Party those people are going to win the argument and I think that as we've kind of said in this episode with the way that they're throwing a tantrum at the membership and at Jeremy Corbyn as an individual they are really showing their asses what petulant in, in, and right in many people. ways in many ways if a left candidate were to win in the next election and as I think they will they will have a much stronger starting point than Jeremy Corbyn because if you look at the we've got what 203 MPs currently and of that 203, yeah. only 103 of them survived from that 2016-2017 intake of people who resigned in the coup. So mm. you've got a Brexit split in the Labour Party of <laughs> anti-left to left or left-adjacent MPs. Yeah. So they are not the majority, they're not a supermassive majority of the PLP anymore, first and foremost. Mm. And also the membership is not with them. One thing that people seem to forget about this manifesto and why it differs so much from 2017 is if people weren't paying attention to conference, this was very much a conference to manifesto manifesto. Very little from conference didn't get into this manifesto, which is quite striking, actually. And that's why it felt so radical, because it was like... For the first time, so much of what came out of conference and managed to survive all those composite meetings and all of that Mm. then went into the manifesto meeting and managed to survive in there as well, where there would have been pressure from unions and all other aspects of the party. But managed to survive that to produce this manifesto shows that the left of the membership is actually extremely fucking strong. Yeah, it's pretty fucking strong and apparently so about necessarily... 20 sorry apparently about twenty thousand people have joined the labor party since the election i think yeah, maybe it's even... all gonna end in tears and they'll be corbyn supporters for the most part i but, doubt it's the uh, phillips I, goons or whatever. i mean even if it were i mean this is the thing so nuke akehurst has somehow told them that the cutoff date to vote <laughs> in the leadership election is going to be somewhere around the 20th of january or something like that so they can all Join in today, blah, blah, blah. They're not going to get disenfranchised, blah, 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 blah. Here's the problem. So there is the precedent that they set by trying to gerrymander the coup in 2016. But there's also a legal precedent. Actually, the NEC could very easily meet for a full meeting. Tom Watson, (laughs) thank you. Citing (laughs) citing concerns of entryism. And when you've got a shitload of people who aren't party members going, join the Labour Party so you can vote out the left, there's your entryism. Yep. Bye-bye. <laughs> fucking, tr- fucking trots, man. The composition of the membership is still majority left rather than anti-Corbyn. And however much people might have had personal 
things against Corbyn, that's not baggage necessarily that the left candidate will absolutely carry. I'm just going to put out a little offer here, speaking of gerrymandering and so on, I'm just going to put out a little offer here to the Labour Party, Jenny Formby, if you're listening, if we're looking for a new head of compliance unit, I'm not sure who's in charge currently, but I will happily take charge for Operation Ice Pick Mark II. I will have a rigorous policy of no former Lib Dems, no former Greens, I mean in the last couple of years, if you were Green like before Corbyn, fine, and only SMP if you were in the seat of East Dunbartonshire. (laughs) In which case you're a hero of the movement and you should be welcomed with open arms and in fact ennobled and put in the shadow cabinet. There were so few positive things about that election night, but watching Joe Swinson lose her seat so was one of them well, because if anybody moment. deserved to go it was really her the, goodbye Veruca Salt that was so good it was it was amazing seeing Swinson lose her seat the only downside was it was within literal seconds of Laura Pidcock losing her seat so there's actually a recording of me on a live stream like yes yes yeah <laughs> oh, oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> so should we talk about the leadership contest and who shall be running in it now that I've extended my generous offer. So, uh, look, honestly, don't, you don't even have to pay me. I'll do this shit for free. But like, yeah, now I've extended this offer to the Labour Party. Who are we backing for Labour leader? Clive for leader, am I right, guys? Spice wing, right? Mm, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Hashtag Look, remain guys, with spice. I've, I've done this already. The left slate has been confirmed. Well, confirmed. Decided. Long Bailey Butler. That's it. Yeah. The Butler Bailey ticket. It's alliterative. It yeah. works. It's a northerner and a southerner. It's two women's and it's double history. First black deputy leader. First woman leader. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Let's just make 2020 a year of first. And Dawn's it's good, done and dusted. She? Dawn's, and she's great. Uh, different kind of politics and background, but she's kind of almost like Ian Lavery in that she supported Andy Burnham in 2015. But I think, I think now she ran his campaign. Deeply regrets it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if she regrets it. I think she was always that kind of soft left where she was like, what she wasn't was she wasn't going to be an obstruction to what the membership wanted. Mm. And I think for that, she gained a lot of the membership's respect. And she, I think she did resign in the in the coup. She just came back. No, no, she didn't. I, think I don't she, think she, 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 I, she wasn't she, in the shadow cabinet. She wasn't in the shadow cabinet and she took the opportunity to go into the shadow cabinet. Well, because and she has was, gone from strength to strength. She was up until that point chair of a women's PLP. And then, and then she got snaked by Joss Hollops. Yeah, now... From, I, by Bab. Once again, I'm going to appeal to the journalist community. Please DM me with, like, <laughs> what the fuck actually happened there. I know I periodically do this in real politics, but there was only ever one report in the Evening Standard on what happened in the summer of 2016 when there was a meeting of the Women's Parliamentary Labour Party and Dawn Butler was no confidenced by Jess Phillips, who'd been in Parliament for about two minutes and was somehow declared to be the new more, chair. more suitable for the job than an MP of, I think, 10 years who had, in fact, been the first ever black woman cabinet minister. 
I don't even think she was no confidence. I think what happened was that she was expected to not be challenged for the post. All right. And Jess Phillips challenged for it. And then they voted for Jess Phillips. Okay. I think that's what happened. But mm. it's the fact that how did that come to pass? Why was that allowed to happen? Oh, she's rubbish, nev- Bab. That, is, that should be been... me up there. I'd be speaking <laughs> truth to power. <laughs> she's from Birmingham, not the West Country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, a fair few miles out there. Man. She's Bab. from Birmingham, Bab. The only bit she's I've from got... Birmingham. She she's not from the I West Country. She, she sounds. She comes from Birmingham. She's got a posh Birmingham accent, actually. Now maybe so, that's not... it. Maybe, that, maybe so, that's Aston. Why. Doesn't it's, ring it's an Aston accent, not a Perry Bar accent, basically. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, but she's yeah, no. Bloody shit, that should be me up there. That should be Bab. <laughs> That's just Ian Holloway. Yes, I was going to say just again. Me wrong region of the country. Pop. Maybe we need Brexit so that Jack can finally figure out which accents go where in the country. <laughs> it's a lost cause. Yeah, but I reckon she goes home. She's like, oh, Bob, drinking some coastal pop, and then shuts the door. She's like, oh, hello, hello, darling. How are you? I'm Scottish. What the fuck? <laughs> she is her own publicist. It's quite, it's quite it's interesting. She's a... But yeah, but I think Dawn Butler had a horrid time. And nobody really knows the story there. It would be quite interesting to know what the story is there. But she saw an opportunity when all of these people were losing their heads. She was like, okay, well, you guys want to leave so many empty seats. I'm going to take that seat instead. You've taken this seat. Fine. I'm going to take that bigger seat over there that actually gives me more prominence. Well, she was uh, promoted. And she took it and she's... And she's never looked back. Yeah, she was promoted by Corbyn to shadow minister for ethnic minority communities, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, Which I... and then she got the women's equality brief as well, I believe. Pouring one out for Sarah Champion. <laughs> but I think when she got that brief, it actually meant that in terms of representing women, she was higher up than Jess Phillips's role that she'd snaked away from her. Oh, yeah, So sure. it was kind of like a poetic justice for her to get a brief that you just know that there is nothing more that Jess Phillips would have wanted than to be the shadow secretary for women and inequality and all that stuff. Well, that's, what, that's what that's the only work that she claims to have done in her entire life. What I worry about is that if Jess Phillips does run for leader, and there's no promises she will yet, then that's oh. almost like being a loser in a leadership contest. You basically get a shadow cabinet post as a consolation prize, or you at least get offered one. And like, come on, keep her away from the fucking shadow cabinet. I mean, at all costs. it might be convention, but convention's gone out of the window. We've had a coup and the barraging of a leader who's already accepted to go down. So there's literally nothing to stop turning around and just going, OK, I'm going to give a seat. To Actually, looking at the people who run, some of them really don't need to be anywhere near the shadow fucking cabinet. <laughs> so, sorry, just ver- yeah. very quickly, I'm just fucking howling. Like, Rosa Gilbert is having it out with Paul Mason on the timeline in Spanish. Oh, man. <laughs> in Spanish. So she, she's tweeted, like, a bunch of stuff like... Uh, Paul Mason is what she's quoted this article. Paul Mason is one of the most listened to and respected figures on the British left. And Rosa says he is one of the most discredited figures. He always attacks the left, supports the neoliberals of the party and says that Corbyn is insufficiently pro-NATO. He's an idiot. Don't listen to him. That's via Google Translate. <laughs> Mason hits back. Corbyn is pro-NATO, which or, off to a great start already. The party's program is pro-NATO. The party's manifesto is pro-NATO dot 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 only a small group of stalinists <laughs> do not understand this fact 
<laughs> I'm just reading that in Spanish now. It's just funnier when someone else has translated it for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Imagining Mason six Wait, cans deep for this time of Spanish? night with like this an is... auto translate window. Like, this is definitely <laughs> copy and pasting stuff in. Like this is just... definitely in Italian. This is not Spanish, guys. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I've been... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, makes sense. that does make sense yeah. because I think Rosa's family is Italian and uh, yeah. Mason is over there a fair bit. I thought the eyes would have given that away. To, I, I, <laughs> to I, be I, honest, no. I think I saw the e. I saw the e with the little accent on top of it. <laughs> Deary me. This is not a great advert for the British education system. I, it's, it's not It's not a geography podcast. Yeah, I know I claim to be a fucking linguist. Like, they, they taught us German at my school and I flunked that. Wait, so wait, wait. Jack, I... when did you finish secondary school? Um, I just want to know which government to blame your lack of being able to differentiate between oh, Spanish oh, they, and Italian. Oh, well, I, it would be... No, wait, I would have stopped studying foreign languages when Gordon Brown was still prime minister. Oh, dear me. <laughs> Look what you wrought, Gordon Brown. <laughs> so right, so sorry, I just had to like get into Paul Mason, Rosa Gilbert, Italian language beef there because I just love it. Nate Mason in Italian, just like a big the ember of the spice spliff, just growing larger and larger <laughs> Honestly, as he types frantically. Like Corbin supports please, NATO. Please, please, someone listening to this, do Italian Paul Mason as a gimmick account. <laughs> Like, <laughs> don't listen to the Stalinists. There's, there's like, fucking numbers you know in that, you, man. You like. know there's that chef image where it's like the black and white one with the chef doing the Italian hands and yeah. you can just put like Paul Mason quotes. You know his fucking threads. Like you can just put that picture underneath all of his fucking tweets. And it's, oh my God, I'm laughing myself because it's so funny. I got I got to post this in in the group chat just thinking of where the spice wing are at. <laughs> Somebody touch my milk. Yeah, so that's so we talked a little bit about one of the potential candidates, Jess Phillips. I, I suppose we could now move on to one of the other possible candidates if he hasn't dropped out by tomorrow. Now that we've mentioned Paul Mason, who I believe may be backing him, Mr. Clive Lewis. Ugh, do we need? Ugh. The thing about all of them, like, we don't even need to go through them one by one. The problem with most of them is that they're so uninspiring. They're so uninspiring that you'll have a hard time finding anybody who really wants to vote for any of them. And it's a great problem. And I was going through the list of the criteria that you'll need to have to really win over the membership. And if the PLP haven't realised that they need to win over the membership, which they clearly haven't because they've just spent a week slagging off the membership, but that's another story for another day, that the candidate that's going to have to win the membership will need to have not been in Parliament or voted against the Iraq war when that vote was taken and possibly subsequently voted for the investigation, the inquiry. And if they voted against an inquiry, they'll have to kind of say why they did so. Wait, is your set of criteria different to Paul Mason's set of criteria? Absolutely, because he's a clown. So (laughs) they've got to sideline the Putin fans. They want to uh, sideline hard left voices. As another tweet by him that I've looked Um, at. The second one would be that they would have had to vote against or not been in Parliament at the time of the austerity vote in 2015. Those are the two biggest things that drove the membership to go for Corbyn. 
those are the kind of the two driving forces of Corbynism in 2015. And then after that, you've got to look at all of the other demographics within the makeup of the party. But just those two things rules out so many people. It's hilarious. There are very few MPs that can fit all of these. And in fact, somebody else said, yeah, and they should have voted against Windrush. And I was like, if you add Windrush into it, the only MP that fits all three, that's a woman because it's kind of common consensus that the next Labour leader should be a woman. The Diane. only MP that, that ticks all... There we go. It's Diane Abbott. <laughs> I'm but not going to say no to Diane to Abbott here. for leader. Like, fuck yeah. Uh, but I don't even want her to run because, nah. honestly, her she has be been so through... Shit enough she has been through enough and it's not fair so it goes back down to there's only about three candidates that actually qualify that are female and that's Angela Rayner Rebecca Long Bailey and Lisa Nandy now Angela Rayner and Lisa Nandy their abstentions on the welfare bill were down to legitimate reasons I think Lisa Nandy was on maternity leave and I can't remember exactly why Angela Rayner abstained, but there's apparently there was a legitimate reason, which I'm kind of happy to go with and whatever. I remember um, her kind of apologising for that, yeah. Yeah, but people have reasons, so it's like, okay, whatever, whatever. Yeah, may- maybe more that's, explaining that, that's herself a very than small, Yeah, that's a very small pool, because all the others... I've ruled out all the men. I don't even know why the men are running, because... Firstly, if you've just had two years of... The Tories have had two female prime ministers and you haven't even had a female leader yet. Why are any men running in this contest? Mm. Please read the room. Yeah. Nobody wants another male leader. Nobody wants another white male leader. So, number one, why is Keir Starmer running at all? Number two, why is Clive Lewis running at all? Because you're both kind of hampered. Keir Starmer is seen as the architect of Labour moving to remain. In terms of levers, if the whole point of this new leader is to win back the northern towns, why would you put the man who created our Brexit position as leader? Because he's never going to sell up north. What I liked about his leadership pitch in The Guardian was that now we've moved the party in such a way away from a legacy of the hated Tony Blair that Keir Starmer had to be like, oh, yeah, uh, Tony Blair, uh, would he'd uh, probably disown me. Yeah, yeah, Tony Blair would hate me. Totally. I hate him too. Yeah. The problem with Keir Starmer, ultimately, is he has all of the personality of an unused prop from Thunderbirds and often looks like it as well, to be fair. This is a man who, if we're talking about how you've got to be a slick operator and all this stuff, this man looks confused when he's not answering questions. The only reason the Tories were able to do that whole thing about how he didn't have an answer for Brexit, the reason they were able to splice it is because he always has the, huh? look when he's not giving an answer and that's not a man that can win you an election i'm sorry it's not secondly he's a prosecutor and i don't know if people know lawyers but prosecutors are fucking boring (laughs) the man has less charisma than jeremy corbyn who at least had a lot of personality towards him and people called him boring jesus christ Keir Starmer is like taking fucking methadone. The man is not, he doesn't instill you with happiness. He doesn't put a spring in your step. He makes you fall asleep. You don't, I've just got a massive conversation about Paul Mason's Italian beef kicking off in my mentions now. He's like the anti-Mason. Mason's like a spice crack. (laughs) I still think they should give Mason back news night. And Keir Starmer's clearly smuggled back 
a bag of Afghanistan's finest poppy seeds and brews his own heroin at home in his in his Camden allotment because they're it's like as different as night as day. One has too yeah. much energy and one has one has absolutely none. They need to swap each other's drugs. We need to give Paul Mason some heroin so he can calm down. And we need to give Keir Starmer some spice so he can actually say something interesting for once that doesn't Wait. make you fall asleep. I'm just going to do a dramatic reading. So we've already heard it in English, but here we go. Corbyn è pro NATO, il programma del partito è pro NATO, il manifesto del partito è pro NATO. Solo un piccolo gruppo di stalinisti non capisce questo fatto. <laughs> Got it. Seen off. That's, hey, take that, Rosa. <laughs> And uh, I have now renamed the group DM Grupo di Stalinisti. <laughs> with, with a little parenthesis, which I don't want to do because it would out one of its members. So yeah, Keir Starmer, Emily Thornberry, Clive Lewis. I don't know why she's running. She yeah, needs... and, and her pitch seems to be like, well, clearly we should have a second referendum now. I think that was it. I didn't read the piece, actually, so <laughs> probably, I think. There's no reason for her to ring. There's no reason for her to even be running. I don't know why she's doing it, but it helps. I think yeah. there's a lot of people who, like, they think that they've got some kind of respect in the membership for working with Corbyn, and they think that that's enough to swing the membership on their side and to promise to be, like, a little less radical but not completely abandon the Corbyn project. And they yeah. think that that's like the new centrist pitch is like left, but not too left. Yeah, definitely. Um, redefining soft left to be a little bit more left and a little bit less soft, but still just moderate enough. So it's like Green New Deal, but with Trident. Here's Starmer. <laughs> that's basically what they're offering. Starmer. Green New Deal, but with Trident. Yeah, <laughs> which in fact was literally the 2019 manifesto. <laughs> Seriously. But Keir Starmer, he seemed to really rattle the hated Jason Cowley when he said that Ed Miliband as leader was too right-wing. And it's like, well, you know who else thinks that Ed Miliband as leader was too right-wing? Ed Miliband. <laughs> like, this is quite a widely held view, Jason. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure not even every well, senior person see, at your publication was, that, agrees with you on that. This was my dark horse suggestion that people thought, which I did say, this is not a serious suggestion, but it's also not not a serious suggestion. I honestly think that if Ed Miliband ran again, having seen the last four years, he could run the campaign that he wanted to run in terms of being as left-wing as he would have liked to have been in his initial leadership, knowing that actually I can go for the stuff that I have in my convictions and the membership will back me on it if they're with me. Yeah. I, because I think the one maybe. lesson that Ed Miliband learned watching Corbyn was that he should have stuck to his gut and gone for it and the membership would have backed him up. Fuck everybody else. <laughs> I And he learned that he lesson bitterly. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's still... <laughs> kind of on the soft left but I just thought it was a suggestion yeah. that nobody had thought about and I actually thought actually chaos with Ed Miliband would work a second time well, round even just as an interim holdover there because are... my biggest worry about the left candidates that are going to be viable is that none of them have the gravitas or the experience of the rest a lot of them are new intakes I don't mm. think many of them have been there before 2015 it says a lot that Dawn Butler is one of the older people whose name's been discussed for either deputy leadership or leadership yeah that's quite embarrassing 
for the yeah. party. I, t I suppose that is true, but on the other hand, I think there is this big thing of we've tried it with the older generation, and personally, you know, I wouldn't go back. I think it was the right thing to do to elect Corbyn leader. But for whatever reason, people have decided that 30 years of activism on the left does not make you fit for purpose as a politician. And then people in the Labour Party have kind of decided that, well, if you are a bit older and you've not had 30 years of activism on the left, then you're not a credible politician, which is, you know, my view. Like, if you're if you're a minister under new <laughs> Labour, I'm not going to fucking vote for you just because you're experienced, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know what my point was with that. <laughs> so the leadership slate yeah it's looking you know i mean i think we can say we're all include especially jude we're all becky bros here aren't we yeah hell yeah big time becky bros we're gonna be sending lots of I'm abuse a, to the i'm a becky bro and a butler babe <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> although i i would i you know i i would say i'm I'm a, I'm a little bit of a bergen boy i don't know if he'll be my number one preference he needs to be absolutely nowhere near any leadership of any kind election for a good five years oh, i dude, like he, richard he bergen follows me he f careful, I, well, careful. I, hey hang on hang on if you're <laughs> listening richard bergen i like you i think you've got some gumption to you i think you've got a lot of passion but you don't come across too well media. I think you need to practice your media responses and your media training just a little bit more. Um, and then your time will come. Yeah, I, I think, think you have thing... all the, the makings of a good leader in the future. But right now, you're just not getting the balance of how to appear on TV. And it's probably not the right time for you to run for deputy leadership or leadership you've got to just sit this one out mate we're making history next year men need not apply were bergen in the contest it would at just least split, for a little he bit. would split the vote no it would just split the vote there's no point he would have to drop out a week after he declared it's going to split the membership that would be the mistake of the left is to just go someone can be in for a little bit there's no point we well, pick the left candidates we have one for deputy one for thing and then we use the hustings to hold them to account of being the left candidate. Do you see what I mean? Well, here's the... Like, really, really getting them to publicly state that they back the thing. And if they don't, then they're fucked. Do you see what I mean? I think that we're already at a disadvantage in that regard, in that there's yeah. the talk that Rebecca Long-Bailey has made a pact with Angela Rayner. So, yeah, I'll be voting for Dawn Butler, but I think that a large portion of the left vote will already be split in Rayner's favour if she decides to But if Raina's only... Raina's going to run for deputy. Yeah. And, yeah, she is going to... She might split the left vote and it's going to end up sneaking in somebody that isn't on the left. But I think that people are underestimating the size of the BAME vote. And trust me, if Dawn runs the campaign that... If I were her campaign manager, Dawn, hire me. I would run... <laughs> Is this that show just us, like, begging Labour for jobs? I mean, I may or may not have just DM'd her directly and said, hire me to run your deputy leadership campaign, mate. <laughs> Why I'll didn't I think that was Sam Tarry? I just, I went for it. Me, I have no shame. I'll just DM and say, hire me. <laughs> Let me run it for you. Let me advise you on it. And I'll lock in the vote. Because <laughs> she has an advantage over Angela Rayner that Angela Rayner isn't aware of. 
which is that for all of the fact that she might have run Andy Burnham's campaign and all of that, people don't really remember that about Dawn Butler. But people do remember that Angela Rayner is uh, very much a progress girl. Mm. And that may come to be her undoing over the campaigning period. And that's why, for me, I would rather go for somebody who might very well have been soft left but been dutiful and loyal to Corbyn than somebody who came from that progress wing because they are utter wreckers. And snakes, ultimately. (laughs) Um, And put another progress snake into a fucking position of leadership. Let's not do that. Well, that's the thing, yeah. I think that Dawn Butler's basically soft left and Angela Rayner is basically on the right. So, I mean, like, that's the thing. I mean, whilst she is a good performer, there's definitely things to be said for Angela Rayner. I'm not personally thinking about performance. I don't think she's a terrible person. I'm very impressed by her. She comes across... She is what Jess Phillips thinks she is. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's not about personality politics, Angela (laughs) Rayner... Is everything that Jess Phillips thinks Jess Phillips is. But Angela Rayner is not well liked. And here's the thing. There's so many different things happening in the Labour Party that the media don't really bother to report on. Angela Rayner is not particularly liked by some members of the PLP and the membership because they don't like working class people who are overtly working class. And the difference between Jess Phillips and Angela Rayner is that Jess Phillips can play at working class because she's got a bit of an accent, but it's not too strong. Whereas Angela Rayner has a very thick accent, is not yet 40 and a grandmother and a teen mum as well. All of these things, it's like, yes, 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 she's done well for herself. But behind doors, they're just like, oh, fuck, no, she can't be our fucking leader. And that is a feeling amongst a particular part of our party, which is gross, but it's actually going to end up hampering her leadership credential there's a reason why a lot of them are saying oh she should run for leader why is she running for deputy they don't want her to be a deputy leader they don't they don't give a shit about it they think if she should either go for leadership but if you've noticed there's been very little push towards getting her to break this pact at all there's no clamour for her to run for the leadership anymore. It petered out almost as quickly well, as, apart from as it was our suggested. Friends at the Social Review. Yeah. It, <laughs> it kind of disappeared as fast as it appeared on the horizon. And that's quite telling. If somebody is that good a media performer and actually did her brief very, very well and is very good at cutting out you know, ridiculous questions like, are you going to nationalise sausages? Climate change is a problem, despite what Nigel thinks. But these Would you also... nationalise sausages? <laughs> no. Would you have a whole meat policy? But these Would you also... nationalise the milk? Seriously, <laughs> seriously. I don't you know, think she if, wants if, it. Why the fuck would you? <laughs> but even if she, e- even if she doesn't want it, the fact that it wasn't even sustained in any kind of pressure, it was kind of mentioned and then just disappeared straight away. That's quite telling. I think what would be good now is if the people who we've been told will probably run, like Rebecca Long-Bailey, like Dawn Butler, i.e. the people who will support, come out now and basically set their stall clear. Don't let the others set the terms of debate as this kind of wishy-washy Keir Starmer soft leftism. Let's come out of some guns blazing and defend the left project, mm-hmm. talk about a radical vision for the future. And I will say... 
in my man Richard Bergen's defence, look, he's one of Labour's chief media performers because he's one of the few MPs who could be relied on a, and go on TV media and not say that Corbyn's a cunt. That's basically yeah, but, it. He, but he, that's he, about the only thing he gets right on TV. He exhibits loyalty and just a basic agreement on the Sorry, substantive issues. Sorry, somebody's weed believe. outside my house and now I feel like I'm getting, like, secondary high. Invite them in. You should be having... No, I don't, I don't like my neighbours. They're cunts, but I appreciate the wafting smell of the marijuana that, that yeah. can continue. <laughs> but what Bergen has been doing in the last couple of days has been, he, he went on TV and when Tom Newton Dunn, you know, who, who I think I mentioned earlier in this episode, one of the worst people in probably the world, was just like, yeah. oh, you Labour Party, you're bloody bad and racist. And Richard Bergen was just like, actually, he follows me, so I'm going to do a second take of that without the accent. But, <laughs> but he, he was like, I'm not going to take any lectures from you with your racism and your phone hacking and all this crap yeah so he basically he just reeled off a big list of why mm. the son of fucking yeah terrible. no i think which is i think he's stuff. very good at coming back and having rebuttals and he's but I don't explicitly think defending jeremy and the membership yeah, as well that's not my problem with his media performance I, I think when he's on brief not when he's kind of there to defend jeremy like i think anybody who genuinely likes jeremy corbyn will not find it hard to find the words to defend him that are coherent and strong and powerful, etc., etc. That's it's why the PLP there... is so shit. <laughs> yeah, it's when he's on his brief or when he's there to talk about policy and other stuff is when he loses it. Outside of his own brief, he can be very, very clumsy. Sometimes when he's talking, it sounds oh, confrontational unnecessarily. Does that make sense? Like... Um, introducing policy shouldn't be confrontational but it can it sometimes sounds it i don't think it's a terrible person but like i said these are mistakes that can be ironed out because all he needs to do is like hire somebody to do more media i think the lad's got a strong future get the balance you know absolutely i don't think his time in the labor party is done or anything like that i actually think he's got the capacity to do a gordon brown in a lot of ways if you think about it gordon brown's younger earlier years in the labor party was just him being an absolute firebrand and not necessarily the greatest media performer but being full of this righteous anger that he he had this kind of he developed this reputation right mm. and i think Bergen has the possibility to do something similar without so much melt ideology behind it basically but i just think that now is just too soon for him and it's a better contest if we are going to make history, because it is long overdue. Yeah. And we've had, what, four men in charge for the last 30 years and only one of them has managed to win a fucking election and he happened to be a war criminal. So maybe we just stop giving men a go for a while and just see what women can do when they run the party and just let's have a woman leader, a woman deputy, and then all the men can just sit this one out and try again in, like, 2024, whenever the next election is. And give it a go then, if necessary, if we don't win. And if we do win, ha ha ha, sucks to be you because we're going to change everything and we're going to lock it in that Rebecca Longbaily shall remain Prime Minister. Yeah, I, I mean, so Clive Lewis Forever. was all... Forever! <laughs> what? what, what? <laughs> it's like, we're just going to, like, as soon as 
Becky Longbaily gets voted in as Prime Minister, we're just going to change all the rules so that she stays Prime Minister. Forever, Forever. yeah. Boris Johnson-style <laughs> leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. Clive Lewis today, he was saying, oh, well, you know, I don't think it should be about gender or whatever. It's all about ideology and policy and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I well, to an extent, I agree, which is why I'm backing Rebecca Longbaily. Does he even realise just how much of a misogynist and sexist he came across? It, it was a bad interview, that. and it was... What, like two hours Terrible. after his campaign launch, it came out? Less, I think. Minutes? I think it was more like about 40 minutes or something. I think <laughs> he's actually beaten the Angela Smith launch to gaff record. <laughs> it was a bad interview. I mean, it was so it was an interview <sighs> with Ben Smoke in Huck magazine, and he yeah. just torched his fucking prospects. Paragraph after paragraph. Yeah, it just comes across, even if you ignore the sort of underlying sense of it being a preemptive defence, it just comes across like a kind of, oh, you can't do anything nowadays, can you? You know, it's completely tone deaf to everything that's happened in the last few years. It's like you shouldn't have to worry about like how you're engaging mm-hmm. physically with, with women or whatever. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of like, well, you should give it a bit of thought, maybe. But I guess there's the two I, different Clive Lewises who he outlines for Jekyll and Hyde, you know. What? What? Yeah, you're but they see... both sound like pricks. It's like <laughs> Hyde and bigger Hyde, you know. Yeah, no, it's like Hyde and Hyde's like, Law Clive, Incorporated. Sorry, Clive James. Lewis, the MP. Clive Lewis, the possible sex pest. Clive Lewis, the possible sexist. It's like <laughs> how many different versions are you, and why are they all such pricks? But this kind of thing is going to happen again and again in this leadership election because all of the people who are running that are not explicitly from the left, are running because they are clowns. They don't, majority of them don't have any ideas and their campaigns are being sustained by the farts that are being wafted through to them by sycophants who want to use them to become leaders for their own nefarious career goals and stuff like that. So, as I said, I remember, I think just a couple of days ago when I was talking, running through criteria and I said... If Clive Lewis has any friends, they'll tell him not to run. I said it. Oh. Like, one, he's not going to get the membership behind him because he resigned from the Shadow Cabinet for Remain stuff. And if the whole point of this is to regain the North, there's no point in electing a Remainer leader, first of all. Or such Literally an overtly Remainer. 50. Or such an overtly Remainer leader is a mistake. But secondly, knowing some of the stuff that's out there if he had friends they'll tell him the second you run all of this stuff is going to come out so maybe this was his eight mile moment where he thought before anyone writes any stories about me let me just out myself as a fucking danger because that's the only thing that i can think of to give that interview and say that stuff it's almost like david brent meets alan partridge meets the thick of it meets. it's (laughs) unbelievable He's always given the, given the impression of someone that hasn't got a sort of media advisor or anyone like that or isn't listening to whoever it is. Like, yeah. even when it's not bad as such, it comes across more erratic than pretty much <laughs> anyone else at that level of politics well, would come out with. He's definitely inspired by Gapes in that he is not letting anyone else do his own tweets. Like, he does... It is Clive doing the tweets, 100%. Yeah. I, I've always been a... I, I, I control my own Twitter feed. I don't know yes, I spoke to Jack about that. Yeah, Jack puts stuff up on Facebook for me and yeah. pictures on Instagram and so on. Mm. But I, I don't let anybody else do the tweets. <laughs> the tweets are all me. Those are all certified Mike. Yeah. <laughs> which is why he's like, fuck off when people <laughs> uh, slag him off. Which, to be fair, Lloyd Russell Moyle, I think, does that a lot better. I just have a feeling that his campaign is 
being pushed by people who are actually probably partly responsible for some of the actual mistakes that the left made Mm. during the last three to four years. I definitely agree. Me too. It has all of the hallmarks of that that you can bomb on your first interview because it's probably the people advising you how to do interviews and what to say and how to approach questions Mm. are people who have, shall we say, far more confidence than they should have on Twitter, more belligerent (laughs) than they need to be, think they're more intelligent than they are. And what we've come to call the Spice Boys have really stitched their mate up here. And for me, if I was Clive Lewis, I'd be looking at some of the stuff people are talking about tonight and gone, none of you are my fucking friends and block them all. Because they've absolutely done him in here. Because if they actually cared about him, if they actually cared about his political career, they would have told him, don't run. Because the second you do, all of this stuff is going to come out. It's going to torpedo your ability to properly go for the leadership. You're not going to win and you'll do your reputation great damage. It's not worth it. Give it four years for people to forget all this shit and then run again. Not one of them had the balls to say that to him. I was going to say it's remarkable, but it's not really remarkable. It's kind of entirely to be expected. But, you know, we've barely heard anything about the various rumours about Clive Lewis for a long time. From the people that we suspect that are backing his campaign to make these kind of mistakes because they've been doing it for a long time now. Corbyn may have had political baggage, so to speak, which is a term I've always hated, but that's, you know, how people viewed it. But he didn't have any kind of personal <laughs> baggage. And as Do you soon... remember the closest that they got to a personal story about Corbyn was that he was married twice before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. During the Owen Smith campaign, they fucking, like, dragged yeah. out Corbyn's ex-wife to say, like, how, oh, he was always out campaigning for socialism and didn't... And it's like, it's like oh, yeah, we that's broke up because like... he didn't want to send my kid to private school. Okay. Okay, what's your point? Why should we care about this? Clive Lewis, when he said that thing in in the pitch in The Guardian, no, it was in the Huck interview as well, actually, but he was like, because I'm not backed by any of the major unions, that way I can take more radical positions than the last leadership or something. I was just like, hang on, so are you going to start, like, slagging off Trident and NATO now? What's Paul going to think of that? (laughs) It's not even that. It's like, it's such a throwaway thing to say. Yeah, he didn't mean that. You might not have union support for your leadership, but, mate, if you win, the unions fucking finance the party. So whether you like it or not, you can't go off slagging the left, right and centre because if you under your watch a union disaffiliate, you're mm. fucked. Yeah, I mean, we learned from Andy Burnham's campaign what alienating the unions does to you. And yeah. I just wanted to get into... Very briefly, so fantasy shadow cabinets, obviously fundamentally nerd kind of thing. It's just hit me, by the way, it's a shame we didn't do the cop or comrade for all the leadership candidates today. Maybe wait for them all to declare and then yeah. we can do a final one with the leaders and deputy candidates. That works. But I was just going to say, obviously, under Rebecca Long-Bailey leadership, Dawn Butler as deputy... Who do we want to still be in the cabinet? Because, you know, I think it's time to give old Lloyd Russell Moyle... Uh, hopefully now he's accepted that we've got a... Brexit is happening. So hopefully now now he's on board, he's not going to be, like, banging on about a second referendum all the time. I think it's time we give old Lloyd a nice little promotion so he can be slagging off the Tory cunts in precisely those words from the front bench as Shadow Foreign Secretary. Honestly, yeah. a load of the new intakes because the rest are just so uninspiring. Bring back Kate Osmore. 
Yeah, chaos more. Quite good on foreign policy, and, yes. Thornberry wasn't terrible as a foreign secretary. She's just got terrible politics, which is a completely different thing. Can't be relied um, on, I think. Well, I think what she says in her personal life is neither here nor there. If she adheres to the brief that is agreed upon, then I think she's perfectly competent as a, a foreign... Who is even... The, we can't do one because we need to look at who their opposing number is, and it has to be perfectly matched. Otherwise, it's pointless. It's like, you know, putting somebody like Thangam Debonair up against Jacob Rees-Mogg makes no sense. You see what I mean? He's going to eat her alive. So you need to first see who's who in the Tory cabinet to see who would be able to claim a scalp well, by being their opposing number. I'm just going to say that I have not noticed, unlike Jeremy Corbyn and Don, John McDonnell, I have not noticed Diane Abbott announce her retirement from front bench politics. So yeah, what? she hasn't. What I'm saying is, keep Diane at Home Secretary. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Right, sorry, Jack. I think I actually need to go. Because it's all good. I'm I want to roll asleep. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm literally falling asleep. Um, so just thanks for yeah. having me, guys. Yeah, that's Always cool. Always a pleasure. And please invite me back on the part two of the leadership candidate profiles because there's so much slagging off of Jess Phillips that I didn't get to do today. Oh god, yeah. yeah, that's gonna keep us in material now. Gapes is gone. The yeah, the, go. the Jess Phillips leadership campaign. Thank you, but Babs. Yeah. And, oh um, god, it's it's gonna be so Trumpian. I can't wait. It's just gonna thank be you, Babs, fucking minorities. Babs. Have a good, have a good evening, guys. You too. Take care. Bye. Night. Bye. Night. 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 Everyone. <laughs> Milk. <laughs>
it's exciting. It's young people. It's crowdsourcing. 